which we have uh, met to gather to worship. And uh, you know, we talked about the uh, the uh, business meeting to discuss our uh, the possibility of of continuing conversation worship. I would like to invite your attention to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and I'll read in the 13th verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, for which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together this day to offer you our worship. And Lord, we are thankful for our church, Lord, and we're thankful for the uh, years that we've been able to meet together in this place. And Lord, come together on the Lord's day to offer you our worship and our praise and our adoration. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we've had to open your word and study. And we thank you for how your spirit has uh, taught us truth and helped us grow in our understanding and application of your truth to our lives, Lord. And, and we, know, we know that you are working a plan and a purpose in us and through us. And Lord, we pray that you grant us wisdom and grace as we seek to, uh, uh, to discern your will and to, 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 to hear your voice and to see your truth. And Lord, to be effective makers of disciples in our county and uh, in our community. 
Lord, we pray that you help us to grow in holiness. You help us to grow in purity and uh, grow in our testimony of grace in the place where you have planted us. Lord, we pray that you would grant us the grace and wisdom to to discern and to know your your will and your purpose and to follow you in obedience. Lord, we pray that your spirit this day would help us as we seek to worship in spirit and truth, as we seek to be the worshipers after which you seek, those who will worship in spirit and truth. We pray that you would be glorified and exalted in all that we say and all that we do as we worship you this morning. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me invite you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn 122. Book of Acts, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, we're continuing to look at uh, Paul's defense before the mob that had tried to kill him. We looked at uh, the beginning of that last week as he sought to close the distance between himself and those accusers to show that he was one of them. Uh, Today we'll focus on uh, uh, what made him different, what set him apart. He was one of them, he was like them, but he had been set apart by Christ to Christ. He had been united with Christ, and therefore he was radically different from them. And so we will continue to look at that defense, uh, defense that Paul offered in Jerusalem before the mob that had tried to him. And so Acts chapter 22, I'll begin reading in the first verse, verses that we looked at last week and read through uh, verse 21. Acts chapter 22, beginning in the first verse. Paul offers his defense. Verse 22, verse 1, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from which I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at about noon suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. 
For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to open your word and stand humbly before it, recognizing our need for your spirit to teach us, to lead us into truth, and to apply the testimony of the Apostle Paul to to us and to our circumstance and our situation. Lord, as we come through the centuries, but we take the principles that are in this text and apply them to ourselves and our place and our time. And so we pray that your spirit would grant us wisdom as we seek to to know your will, to see the just one, and to hear the voice of your word. And Lord, help us to respond to your word with faith, with confidence, and obedience. Lord, help us to walk in ways that are pleasing in your sight. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we've been walking with Saul and or Paul as he has come to Jerusalem. You remember Paul... Uh, set his face toward Jerusalem and was committed to go back to Jerusalem to deliver the offering, the gift that the Gentile churches had collected for the impoverished saints, the poor believers, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were struggling financially and economically. And so uh, they received the collection from the Gentiles. Paul collected that and determined that he would take that offering, that gift himself, he would take it to Jerusalem, even though in every single city he was warned that chains and tribulation awaited him in Jerusalem, that he would suffer when he got there. But he knew that it was God's plan, it was God's design, it was God's will, it was consistent with God's call upon his life and the mission that he was uh, fulfilling to go to Jerusalem, even though he was warned that chains and tribulations awaited them, awaited him there. And then when he got to Jerusalem, the elders of the church uh, told him, you know, there are a lot of people here who have heard lies about you, Paul. They've heard lies about you and uh, that you're preaching against all these people. You're preaching against this holy place. You're telling people not to uh, obey the law of God, to disregard the law of Moses. They have heard these lies about you. And what you need to do is you need to give them evidence that those things are lies. We've got some men here who have taken a Nazarite vow, and the days of their purification are near. And so, Paul, what you need to do is you need to take these guys, go with them to the temple, make the, uh, the sacrifices. In fact, you pay for their purification. You pay for their sacrifices. You go in and you show the crowds that what they have heard about you is a lie, that uh, you are not preaching against these people. You are not uh, telling people to totally disregard the law of Moses. You are not preaching against this temple, but you yourself uh, are obedient to the law, and you understand and respect the law of God. And so Paul did as the elders counseled. He took these men into the temple, 
And when the day of their purification was there, the, the Jews from Asia again began to spread the lies and stir up the mob. They began to shout, this is the man. This is the guy that, uh, uh, that we've been telling you about. This is that dangerous man who teaches men everywhere against the people and against this place and against the law. And the people heard the lies and they were stirred into an outraged mob and they began, they grabbed hold of Paul, they grabbed him out, uh, drug him out of the temple, locked the doors behind him and began to beat him. And they most probably would have beaten him to death if this mob had not gotten the attention of the Roman soldiers, the Roman commander, he sent Roman soldiers to restore order, and when they saw the soldiers, they stopped beating him. They stopped beating Paul, and, uh, and yet everyone continued to shout one thing and another. And so the commander realized that he could not establish order as long as Paul was there, so he ordered Paul to be put into chains and taken to the prison, taken to the brig. And as he was on the way, Paul asked permission to address the crowd. He asked the Roman uh, commander permission to speak to them, and the Roman commander granted position, uh, permission. And when Paul began to speak to the crowd in Hebrew, a strange silence came upon that mob, that same mob that was doing everything they could to try to kill him before now fell silent and listened to him as he offered his defense. And last week, we looked at the first part of this defense where Paul you know, Paul does not see the mob as his enemy. He knows that his battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil, the spiritual forces of darkness. And so as Paul addresses the crowd, the mob, he sees them as prospects. He sees them as people who need to respond to the good news, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are people who need to be confronted with their sin, see their sin, and see that they are helpless and hopeless before God, and their only hope is to turn uh, from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So he sees them as prospects and he loves them. And he has a sense of urgency to share with them the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, even these Jews. And Paul loves them and has a sense of urgency to share with them the gospel. Even though just a few minutes before, they were about to beat him to death. He loves them. He is concerned about their souls. He is concerned about his countrymen. And even as we saw a few weeks back in Romans, uh, he said he would be willing for himself to be accursed for the sake of his brethren. And so he gets the opportunity to address this crowd. And we talked last week about the fact that at the beginning of his dress, he tries to, to close the distance between him and and these that were trying to beat him to death. He was trying to close the distance between he himself and between these people who were his prospects that he was trying to convert. And he, he began by saying, I'm just like you. I'm one of you. I'm a Jew. And I was born in a city that gave me Roman citizenship, but I was raised here in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, the great rabbi, the rabbi that you respect and that you honor. And I was taught in the law. And I was strict in my obedience to law. I was zealous for God. In fact, I was so zealous for God that I tried to, myself, I tried to kill Christians and put them into prison. I've done the same thing that you've done. And so he tried to say, I'm one of you. I'm just like you. And he also, we saw last week, he gave them the benefit of the doubt. He, he, he recognized that their beating of him 
was zeal for the Lord. They really believed that he was preaching against the people, that he was preaching against the law, that he was preaching against the, the, the temple. And so he attributes their attempted murder of him to their zeal for God. And he said, I was exactly the same way. And so last week we talked about Paul closing the distance, beginning his defense by saying, I'm one of you. I'm just like you. I had the same upbringing, the same commitment to the law, I am a devout Jew that has been longing for, looking for, and praying for the hope of Israel, the arrival of the Messiah. So that's the first part of his defense. I'm just like you. I'm one of you. But then he gets to the second part of his defense, and he says, I have been set apart by Christ. I was just like you, but now I have been set apart by Christ. I was longing for. For the hope of Israel, I was looking for the Christ. I was looking for the Messiah. And while I was on the way to Damascus with letters from the chief priest to arrest Christians, followers of Christ, followers of the way, I was on my way to Damascus to arrest them, put them in chains, and bring them back to Jerusalem where they might be punished. And it was on that road that I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord Jesus. And so Paul begins, I'm just like you, I was just like you, but now I have seen the Lord, and I have been set apart by the Lord. I've been called to Him, and that has changed everything. I was like you, but now I've been united with the Lord Jesus, and everything has changed. And so we see how it happens. Paul says in verse 6, I, I was journeying, I came near to Damascus about, about noon. And suddenly a great light from heaven showed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And so Paul is on the way. This great light comes upon him. He falls to the ground. He cannot see. And he hears this voice, this voice calling him by name and accusing him of persecuting him. And Paul does not know who this is. He does not know who the voice belongs to. But he responds, who are you, Lord? And look what Jesus said to him in verse 8. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And so here we kind of see the nature of, of our union with Christ. Jesus speaks to Saul, who is persecuting his church, his followers, his people. Paul is arresting members of the way, believers in Jesus, putting them in chains and bringing them to Jerusalem so that they might be punished. He was going house to house in Jerusalem, delivering and, and, uh, and, and binding to prison both men and women. Paul was persecuting the church. He was persecuting believers, children of God, Christians. And Jesus says that Paul is persecuting him. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And so such is the nature of between the church and Christ. There is a union with Christ. There is a union with Christ for believers. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again to new life, and we are placed in a union, a partnership, a fellowship with Christ that is so profound that Jesus says, if you're persecuting one of my people, you are persecuting me. If you are persecuting my church, you are persecuting me. If you are persecuting my bride, you are persecuting me. Such is the union between the church and Christ. 
a believer in Jesus. That union is profound. That union is complete. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we are united with Christ. So profound that when Jesus was hanging on the cross and God was pouring out the force of his wrath, our union with Christ is so profound that Jesus satisfied the penalty, the punishment that we deserve. It was our sin that was judged when Christ died on the cross. Our union with Christ is such that he could die for our sins, that he could take the punishment that we deserve. We are one with Christ, and he died for our sins. And our union with Christ is so profound that when we stand before God, we don't stand clothed in our own righteousness, which would appear to God as filthy rags. If we stood before God in our own righteousness, we would be destroyed and consumed by his holiness because our righteousness is totally inadequate. We cannot, we cannot be right before God in our own strength, but in our union with Christ, we stand before God not clothed in our own righteousness, but clothed in his righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so there is a union with Christ between Christ and those who believe in him, a union with Christ between him and his church, a union with Christ and his bride. So profound that Jesus can say, if you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. If you hate the church, you hate me. If you hate my bride, you hate me. Because of the union between Christ and his church, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, showing the union between Christ and his church. And so Paul is confronted with Christ and confronted with his sin. And now he cannot see, and so Paul is told to go into Damascus where he will be told all things, where somebody will come and explain to him what is going on and explain to him what he has been appointed to do. And so he cannot see, so they lead him to Damascus. And when he gets there, Paul continues to close the distance between himself and his accusers, close the distance between those who, who tried to kill him, to beat him to death, and those that he is... Uh, and himself. And so in verse 12, when he gets to Damascus, verse 12 says, a certain Ananias. And listen how he, look at how he describes Ananias. Ananias is a devout man according to the law. And so Paul says, you know, I was raised a Jew and I was raised in the, the, the great school of the rabbis. I was taught the law and then I encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus, and when I went to Damascus, the Lord sent someone to me who was also devout in the law. Ananias was a devout Jew. He was devout in the law. He, was, he, he, he embraced and, and, uh, and observed the law of Moses, but he had come to faith in Jesus, but even though he was a devout man according to the law, even though he had trusted Jesus, look at what, he, what else he says about Ananias. He had a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. So again, Paul closing the gap between himself and those that he wants to respond to the gospel. I was just like you. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ as I was encountered him, and the one who made me see and introduced me to Jesus and spoke to me about the things of Jesus. He also was a devout Jew according to law and had a good testimony 
with the Jewish people in Damascus. And so he's again trying to make this connection so that they will hear the gospel. So Paul gives his defense. I'm just like you. I'm one of you. And I was zealous for, for God. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. But then he does speak of his union with Christ. And that's what changed everyone. And so Adonias comes to him, verse 13. He stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then look what Ananias says to him, the God of our fathers. And so again, closing that gap, he is trying to help these people see, I am a Jew, I am a good Jew, I am a devout Jew. And when, when uh, Ananias came to me, he said that it is the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the God who gave the law to Moses, the same God, the same plan, the same purpose. The God of our fathers is the one that has chosen you. This is not a different God. It's not a different religion. He is not abolishing the law. But no, this is the fulfillment of the covenant and the plan of the God of our fathers. Closing the distance, helping them to see that he is one of them. And that this promise is for them and from their God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not a, a new religion. It's not a new plan, but it is the fulfillment of the plan that God had all along. The God of our fathers, he has chosen you that you should know his will. So Paul was a devout Jew looking for the hope of Israel, longing for the Messiah, praying for the coming of the Messiah. And now God had appointed him and sent him Ananias and appeared to him on the road to Damascus, that he might know that Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus the Christ, is the fulfillment of God's plan and God's purpose. That yes, God chose the Jewish people. God chose the nation of Israel, and he gave them his law. He gave them the covenant at Sinai. But that was not an end in itself. The purpose was through them to bring the Christ into the world, the Messiah, the Son of God. God the Son would come into the world. And that salvation would come to the Jews first, but then also be preached to the nations. That he sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world. God the son, the son of God, became a man and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who believe. And God raised him from the dead to show this was sacri that sacrifice was accepted. And now he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. That's God's will. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Ananias comes and says, this is the God of our fathers. This is not new. This is not uh, radical. This is the fulfillment of his will and his plan and his purpose from the very beginning, before the foundation of the earth. God has appointed you that you would know his will. And also, verse 14, that you would see the just one that you would see the righteous one. And so God appointed Paul to know his will and to see the righteous one. The righteous one, the sinless son of God. The only one who is just, the only one who is righteous. God the son, the son of God became a man. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law. 
He fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. He was just. He was righteous. He was perfect. Every jot and every tittle of the law, he fulfilled. He was just and righteous. But then he died on the cross to satisfy the demands of law against lawbreakers. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus dies on the cross to satisfy the demands of the law against lawbreakers, against all who would ever come to him in repentance and faith. And then God raised him from the dead, declaring him righteous, declaring him just, declaring that sacrifice accepted on behalf of all who believe. And Saul was appointed by God, chosen by God to see the just one, to see the righteousness of Christ, and to see that salvation is not by works of our righteousness, but it is the righteousness of Christ that is credited to our account. And so this is a call to salvation, to know the plan and purpose of God, to bring salvation to all who believe, to see the just one, the man Jesus Christ, by whose righteousness we are saved and his righteousness, and so that you might see the just one and that you might hear the voice of his mouth, that you might hear his truth, his word, his gospel, because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. So this is a call to salvation, that we might know God's will, his purpose and his plan to create for himself a people that would love him and delight in his presence forever. But his plan that uh, in order for us to glorify him and delight in his presence, we have to be saved from his wrath. And so he sent his son into the world, the righteous one, the just one, the one by his, his righteousness we are saved. By his grace, by, by grace, through our faith in him and his completed work on the cross and his righteousness, it is by that we are saved. And we hear the gospel the good news of salvation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. This is a call to salvation. So Paul says, I was just like you. I, I was just like you. I was raised in law. I was zealous for the law. I was zealous for God. And I thought by killing Christians, I was doing God's will. But then I met Jesus. I came into union with him by God's grace through faith. I was born again to new life and then everything changed. I've come into union with Christ, and everything has changed. And that same change can come to you if you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. It's a call to salvation, but not only was the call Paul received, you know, this is a call that we all, we all receive, a call to salvation, but Paul also received a call to apostleship. You will be as witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Um, but all believers are called to, to be witnesses, to give testimony. But Paul is also receiving a call to a apostleship that we'll see in verse 21. But all believers are called to be witnesses. Give testimony of what you see, what you heard. You've been appointed to know the will of God, to know the gospel, to see the just one, to see that salvation is by Jesus Christ and him alone, to hear the word of his mouth, the gospel, and we are all called to be witnesses of what we have seen and heard. And so Paul says, I was just like you, but I met Jesus and everything changed. And then verse 16, now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, a call to disciples, a call to salvation, a call to, to, uh, to be his followers. Get up. 
Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Paul, you've been zealous for the law. You were a Pharisee. You were blameless by the law, but you need to admit that you are sinful, that you have fallen short of God's holy standard. And with all your zealousness and your love for the law, you have fallen short of God's holy standard because God's standard is be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect, you've fallen short of that standard. You need to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone and wash away your sins. Our sins are washed away by the, by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul, you need to get up and you need to identify with Jesus and his church. The same church that you have been trying to destroy. The same church that you have gone and you have bound men and women and took them to prison. The same church that you got letters that you might go to Damascus and arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be punished. You need now to identify with that church through your baptism, through believer's baptism. And that Jesus that you were persecuting by trying to destroy his bride, by trying to destroy his body, by trying to wipe out his church, you need now to get up and publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his church. Arise and be baptized. And baptism is a picture of our public, identif our, our public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. We publicly identify and profess our faith in his sinless life, his death, and his burial, and his glorious resurrection. Get up, Paul, and publicly identify your union with Christ, that you are trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. You are putting your trust and your confidence in his death, his burial, his resurrection. That Jesus you were trying to destroy, now. You need to identify with him. Identify your union with Christ. And that baptism also pictures what happens to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That old man, that old sinful man, is crucified with Christ and buried with him, and we have been raised to walk in newness of life. So Paul, get up. Be baptized and identify publicly with Jesus Christ and his church. The same church you were trying to destroy, you need to now identify with. That same Christ that you're trying to, to, to eradicate his name, you need to publicly identify with him and publicly identify and testify to your faith in him and in him alone. Get up, Paul. Be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, believing that he is the only source of salvation. And so Paul offers this defense, and he offers this, uh, this, uh, his testimony. I was just like you. But I came into union with the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace through faith in him and everything changed. And that church I was trying to destroy, I now publicly identified with through baptism. That Jesus that I was persecuting, I now publicly identified and publicly professed myself in, my faith in him through believer's baptism. And so Paul, he's up and he's baptized. And then all of that, all of that testimony we've seen in... Uh, uh, before in Acts chapter 9, that's why we went through it so fast. And y'all think, well, that's not real fast. <laughs> but Acts chapter 9, we've, we've covered that. We saw that. We saw that testimony. But now what he records, now this testimony, this is new. What comes next, we haven't seen in the, in the book of Acts. 
Verse 17, and again, we see him trying to close the gap between himself and those that he's evangelizing, those that he hopes will come to faith in the Lord Jesus, those that are prospects, those that were trying to beat him to death just a few minutes ago. He's trying to close the gap, and he, he does it this way. Verse 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. So what did Paul do after his conversion? He went to the temple. The temple that they said he was preaching against, he came after his conversion, after he publicly identified with Jesus Christ, after he joined the church and was baptized as a believer, he goes to the temple. He cleanses himself. He goes to the temple. And why does he go to the temple? He goes to the temple to pray. He goes to the temple, and while he is praying in the temple, he again saw the Lord. The Lord Jesus appeared to him in a temple, in the temple. And what did Jesus say to him? Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So Paul, after his conversion, after he joined the church, he went to the temple to pray. He went to the temple to worship. He went to the temple to pray. And while he was praying, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and told him to get up and get out of Jerusalem as fast as he could. They will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so Jesus kind of tells Paul, it's not about you. You're one of them. You're like them. You were zealous for God just like them. But they're not going to receive your testimony, but it's not about you. They will not receive your testimony concerning me. It's Jesus that they hate. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they reject. It is the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone that they despise and that they want to destroy it's not about you paul and it's not about the distance that you are from them you're one of them they will not receive your testimony concerning me it's the gospel that they hate so when they run you out of town don't take it personally it's not about you it's about jesus and the message that he has given you to share they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And what does Paul do? He argues with the Lord Jesus. He speaks back to the Lord. The Lord tells him, get out of town quick. They're not going to receive your testimony concerning me. And what does Paul do? Paul says, wait, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. They know that I was zealous for God and that I believed that destroying the church was the will of God and I did everything in my power to imprison and beat those who believed on you. I'm one of them. I'm just like them. And, and now that I've come to know you, I'm the perfect person to stand here in Jerusalem and say, I was just like you, but now I've been changed. They will hear me because I'm one of them, because I'm like them, because I tried to destroy the church. And, and he continues, verse 20, And the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed. I was standing there consenting, giving approval, rejoicing in the stoning of Stephen. I'm one of them. I was there giving approval. And, 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 and this word could mean that he was a, actually 
official member of the Sanhedrin, and he was there giving official approval for the execution of Stephen. He was there as the official representative of the Supreme Court, making sure that their judgment was carried out. And he was approving, rejoicing in the stoning of Stephen. Jesus, I'm one of them. They all saw me there. They saw that I was zealous for the Lord and, and I was consenting and giving approval to the stoning of Stephen and I was even participating by guarding the clothes of those who were stoning him. So Jesus, I've got just the right testimony. I'm just like them. I'm one of them. I was zealous for God. I'm, I'm the right guy to stand here in Jerusalem and to testify for you because they can see how I was and how I've been changed. And they will hear me because I'm one of them, because I'm just like them. That's Paul's rebuttal. That's Paul's answer to the Lord. Paul says, I'm, I'm one of them. They're going to hear me. And what does Jesus say? Depart. I will send you far from here into the Gentiles. By the way, you're not one of them. <laughs> but I'm going to send you to them. So Paul thought that because he was one of them and he had been changed, that they would hear him. But Paul was wrong. Because it's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about the message that Paul was given to preach. That's what they hated. And they hated, and we'll see next week, they really hated that that gospel message, the message of salvation, was going to be preached to the Gentiles too. You know, today there's, there's a big temptation. As our, as our culture gets more and more hostile to Christians, to faithful churches, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the exclusive claims of Jesus, the gospel message that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that it doesn't matter how religious you are, how good you are, how many good works you do, how many religious rituals and ceremonies you participate in, you are lost and you deserve God's wrath and you deserve God's judgment. You are a sinner under God's wrath. And the fact that you want to do as you please and do what makes you feel good, that's evidence that you are under God's wrath. The world does not want to hear that message and they do not want to hear that the only way to salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They hate the message. They hate the gospel. That you cannot save yourself. That you cannot do as you please. You are under the law of God. And you have violated God's law. And you are an object of his wrath. They do not want to hear that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And they do not want to hear that the only way to be made alive is by repentance, turning from your sin, admitting your helplessness, your hopelessness, your depravity, and putting your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. They do not want to hear that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to God but through Him. They do not want to hear that message. And there are many, many today who say, oh, we just got to show the world how much we are like you. We just got to show, we're just like you, we're one of you. We're, 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 we're tolerant and we're, we're, uh, we're, we're really just like you. 
And they're tempted to think that if we can convince the world that we're just like them, that they will hear us and they will hear the gospel. But the truth is, it's not us that they're rejecting. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot try to bridge the gap so far between us and those that we're trying to win that we lose the gospel, that we lose the good news of Jesus Christ, or that we pervert the gospel and say things that are gospel issues that are not gospel issues. We cannot cause the world to like us, to hear us, to respect us, as long as we hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not compromise the good news of Jesus to make friends with the world. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about the church. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they hate. That's what they reject. And Paul thought, and he even told the Lord Jesus, hey, if I can just convince them I'm just like you, they will hear me. And there's such a temptation to sacrifice the gospel in order to make friends with the world. We must not do that. Because yes, we were just like them. Sinners, helpless and hopeless. Unable, incapable of doing anything that would earn God's acceptance. But by God's grace through faith, He chose us that we would know His will, that we would know the gospel, that we would see the just one, that Jesus is the righteous one, and He is the only source of salvation. That our righteousness is like filthy rags, but we need to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He is the just one. And he appointed that we would hear the word of the gospel and that the Spirit would make us alive and open our hearts so that we might be born again and brought into union with Christ. And that changed everything. That changes everything. We were like them. But when we came to Christ, when Christ called us to himself, we were made different. And we must not negate that difference in order to hope that they will hear us. So when they reject you, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the, the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And no matter how you try to close that distance, there will be a distance. If you have come into union with Christ, You've been born again by his grace. And you can expect that they will hate you. And so Paul goes and he does the right thing. He goes to Jerusalem. He delivers the offering. He cleanses himself. He goes into the temple to show that all these things that these people have heard about are lies. And the, another lesson that we have from this text is you can do all the right things. And that does not mean that you will have immediate blessing, that you will not have trouble, and that there will not be persecution, and you will not experience pain. Paul did all the right things. And what happened? He's grabbed, he's dragged out of the temple, and he's beaten almost to death. He's put in chains, and he's taken to the brig. Why? Because that was God's plan. Paul was appointed. 
to be an ambassador to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And because of this, he is able to address this Jewish mob. We will see him appear before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. He will appear before Roman governors and kings, and he will ultimately appeal his case to Caesar. So just because you do the right thing doesn't mean everything's going to work out for your pleasure or to avoid pain because God's plan and God's purpose is so much bigger than us. Our testimony is not about us. Our gospel, the kingdom of God, is not about us. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. And we need to be faithful and know that our union with Christ makes us Because we're different, and because we're committed to the gospel, we can expect that the Lord will bless us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you for his courage and his boldness and his urgency. Lord, to these people who tried to beat him to death and almost did and would have had the soldiers not intervened. We see his urgency and his love for them and his commitment to preach the gospel to them. God, we pray that you would stir that within us. An urgency, a love for the lost, no matter what they might do to us, we don't see them as the enemy, but we see them as prospects, sinners who need a Savior, people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And Lord, may you find us faithful to stand on the gospel, not to compromise that gospel to make people like us, but they will stand on the gospel and preach the gospel, be faithful to the gospel, no matter what it might cost. Lord, we pray that you would not tempt us to believe that just because things aren't going right means that we did the wrong thing. If we are true to you and true to the gospel, may we fill up in our flesh the affliction that is lacking for the sake of your church, your kingdom. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to him. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.